Hey, Fellowship family, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm going to invite J.D. Holt to join me up here on stage because uh, we're going to celebrate something in J.D.'s life. He has uh, been with us for over 10 years, and any staff member who's been here 10 years, we want to just celebrate and thank the Lord for. And so um, I have a um, certificate that goes along with a gift we're going to be giving him in recognition and appreciation of his faithful service to the Lord and to our family at Fellowship Bible Church. Ten years faithful service presented to J.D. Holt, and uh, this is what we write about J.D. He is a positive man of perspective who cares for others. And uh, over our working with him over 10 years now, we have seen uh, that positivity. Every email you get from J.D. says, keep looking up. (laughs) So that's a a great way he keeps a positive attitude, as well as in the midst of uh, chaos, he also is a man of perspective, and that's due to his many years in ministry and wisdom. But uh, you also hear that people, uh, he cares for people. So we, we thank the Lord for you, J.D. And I also wanted to recognize in this service, we have Christy, his wife, and back there, his daughter, Shay, and granddaughter, Thea. There they are in the back there. Can you just wave at us there? Okay. Um, one of the things that um, we want to just at least even thank you for is J.D. celebrated two years ago his 50th year in ministry. Think about that, 50 years. I was six years old when you started ministry. How about that? Um, but we want to celebrate thank, uh, and thank the Lord for a faithful servant of God who served him, and uh, we want to thank you, and I want to pray for you as you take this next step. J.D. is going to be stepping away from his role here in December and focusing on his family, extended family, and we always want to honor that calling also of someone serving his family and uh, loving them as Jesus loves them. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for J.D. and everything that you have used him uh, to be here at Fellowship on our staff team, and Lord, now we thank you for this opportunity for him to continue to invest in his family. Um, I pray that you would continue to Use his positivity and his perspective and his love for others to shine through him that Jesus would continue to be greater in his life and through uh, to other people also. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. J.D., you may now keep this award. I gave it to you three times now, and you can finally keep it. Okay, there you go. <laughs> That's so hard to do in three different services to please give it back to me. I'm going to give it to you in the next service. And okay, but we do it here. So thanks. Okay, we're in this series called uh, Messiah, and we're looking at the Advent angle of this in the book of Matthew. So we're back at Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, open there to Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Matthew 1, 18. Before I read it, I want to just share with you um, just, just this, this concept that we use a lot in developing leaders here at Fellowship. And it's a phrase that says this. It says, who you are is more important than what you do. And I think that's really important because here in the United States, when you share your name with someone you're being introduced to, one of the first questions most people ask is, hey, Joe, what do you do? Now, that's been a challenge for me because I'm a pastor, and uh, several years ago, I walked into a barber shop, and all the guys were talking, and they were very, they were talking very 
openly, if you know what I mean. And uh, I sit down in the chair, and they're just telling all these jokes. And all of a sudden, when a guy goes, hey, Joe, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And all the air just sucked out of the room. You know, it's just like, oh, my goodness, you heard me say that. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I mean, it was just moving into a time of awkwardness when that happened. Uh, there's something about our fascination where we do that. We kind of want to know what someone does. And on our bad days, we elevate people who have a really good job or do something significant, and we kind of depreciate or discount others who aren't doing what we think they ought to do. In French, in, in, in France, I have a uh, friend who does ministry there, and that's a question they never ask people because they don't want to ever insult them. And the French people are insulted by what do you do? They won't, don't want to be stereotyped in their position or the, their career. I think this is important for us, and I would just challenge you to think of a different, think of a different uh, question to ask someone when you meet them. I think you're known by your character. We should be known by our character. And when I do life coaching with people, I always ask them, what, what, when you think about three words to describe yourself, uh, instead of putting that pressure on them, I ask them, go to your spouse or go to your friends or go to your workmates or go to, go to your family and ask them, when you look at me or when you've spent time with me, what do you see? What, positive value do you see? And you don't, I mean, it's easy to go to the negative, but what positive values do you see in me? And what I try to construct for them is three words that they're known for. And as I read this passage in Matthew, we're going to look at this value of who you are is more important than what you do. And here's why. Here's why. Because who you are informs what you do. It's really important. You draw from your character or lack of it when your world explodes around you. You draw from your character when someone offends you. You draw from your character when you have a blessing in your life. You draw from your character. It informs your actions. Now, this passage is about God bringing his son into the world. Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the expected one. And this passage specifically is how God did that. There's things we know, there's things we don't know. Like, when we hear that term, virgin birth, we go, no one in history has ever had that happen to them. No one has ever heard of this. So where do we get it? We would have only gotten it if we look at the scriptures, the word of God that God has revealed to us. So in order to believe in the virgin birth, we have to take that by faith because it's not something we experience on every day, nor has it ever been at any other time in human history. But it is here in the passage. And God is ultimately showing us, as Matthew writes, he's showing us that Jesus had to be fully God as well as fully man. That's why the Holy Spirit came over Mary in some supernatural way and a fully God and fully human was born named Jesus. So as we read this, in God's supernatural plan, he used a guy named Joseph to do that. And I want to look at him today, and I want to see, because, you know, in the headlines of his day, Joseph was marginalized, he was unknown, he was unimportant, but he was right in the center of God's will. So let's look at this passage with that in mind. It says this in Matthew 1, beginning with verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay, so there's a lot to digest here, but actually I want to kind of summarize it in God's supernatural plan of the virgin birth, bringing Emmanuel, God, with us. He decided to use a basically unknown, off-in-the-margins person named Joseph. And as I think about this, there's three words I think about when I read this passage as I've studied it this week. The will of God could be moved through this person because he was humble, he was gracious, and he was faithful. That's how I see Joseph. And I think that when we look at this, these are values that we want in our lives. We'd like to be more humble than we are. We'd like to think of God and others before ourselves. We'd like to be gracious and treat people better than they deserve. We'd, we'd like to be faithful, and that is be obedient to what God's word says in our lives. And I re- really believe that you got up on a Sunday morning, you got ready, and you came to church because you want to look more like Jesus, and that's Jesus. And as, as Joseph had a God over him, he decided to reflect that God in every situation in his life. Here in perhaps one of the most challenging circumstances of life, his fiance comes to him. She says, I'm pregnant and not from you. How in the world does a person handle that? That That would draw all the air out of the room. You certainly have to have a certain character about yourself, not to just go haywire. And and that's what we see in Joseph. His name, Yosef, in Hebrew. Can you say that with me? Yosef? Okay, you know a little Hebrew today. It literally means God or Jehovah shall add or increase. And whether it's Joseph or the book of Genesis where he sold into slavery by his brothers and God was with him and added to him as he was faithful to God. Or Joseph in the New Testament here, very few passages about him. We just see this one is the main one and we draw that God added when he decreased. There was subtraction in his name. He stepped down from himself. He stepped down from revenge or getting even or being angry or bitter. And he stepped down from doing his own will to be faithful to the word of God. So that's first thing. Let's take a look at at verse 18 again. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Again, I said this is the first time in Scripture, and it's actually the last time it's happened since then, that God decided to bring his son into this world through a virgin birth. 
And again, this is almost, as we look at it, inconceivable. How in the world does this happen? Uh, What do you do if you're Joseph and you receive this kind of news? Well, the scriptures talk about his humility. Not just his being a humble person in his character, but also coming from a humble background. When Jesus was doing his ministry, they went to Nazareth, his hometown, where he was raised as a child. And Jesus started doing some miracles, and he started speaking and proclaiming who he truly was. The problem was, is the people knew him too well. They knew his brothers. They knew his mother and father. Um, this, this whole picture is, they asked in Matthew 13, they, they said, is, is not this the carpenter's son? And his mother called Mary are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. In other words, we know these guys. We know them. And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? They questioned him. They thought, we, we know your humble beginnings. And you proclaim yourself the Messiah? I mean, the audacity to proclaim. We know your family. You're, you're not from royalty. You're not king over us. And as a result, it says in Matthew 13, Jesus stopped doing miracles and giving signs to those people to draw into him and to lean into him, to believe in him because of their rejection, resistance to him. So he came from a humble background. He was a humble person. And just to give him how much, you know, give him credit on this, there wasn't much written about Joseph. Matter of fact, we don't know that he died, but most scholars believe he did die sometime in Jesus's later adolescent years, because when Jesus shows up, all we see is Mary. We don't hear of Joseph. At the cross, where Mary is there weeping, we don't see his, his father, Jesus, uh, Joseph, at, at that place. So most people believed he died before that time. But if you only have a few years, what do you want your life to look like? And here in Matthew 1, I think these are pretty good values. He was humble. The, way, the reason why he didn't go ballistic is because he happened to, to, to hold God and others above himself. Jesus lived like this. The whole incarnation is about humility. In the plan of God, Jesus, it says about Jesus, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That's what humility is. It's emptying yourself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus did that. Everything Jesus lived was out of humility. And so as you look at this, at the, the people who were the proud ones, who, who lived to get honor to themselves and, and to have success and accomplishment, were offended by Jesus. And humility will offend the proud all the time. And if you are proud, humility will be your greatest threat. Because you feel that if I let go of, of that status or I, if I give up what I could be in my own strength to pursue God and his strength, I will lose something. And the biblical pattern is exactly opposite. Because at Philippians chapter 2, at the end of it, it says, therefore God exalted him. And ultimately it ends with this, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. 
Humility with God is he takes pleasure when we step down from ourselves to lift God and others up. John Dixon, in his uh, book, Humilitas, it's a small book, but it's very profound. He puts forth this definition of, of uh, humility. He said, humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the sake of others before yourself. I like that. The other hypothesis that John Dixon really moves here is he says that where do we get this current picture that humility is a virtue? Where do in the world do we see some of the greatest people in our lives and in the world are the people who step down and give up themselves to lift God and others up? And he would point right back to that first century Jesus of Nazareth who came out of heaven and lived with humility. So my definition for humility is a, simple, is a little bit more simple. It's, it's humility is your choice to step down from yourself to lift others up. Stepping down from yourself. Now, it's a choice, which means that humility, where you treat others and you view others as more important than yourself, you're going to have to do that intentionally because it's not going to just happen. I don't wake up every morning and go, oh, I can't wait to lift God and others up today. I tend to look in the mirror and go, oh my goodness, what happened overnight? And I'm losing more hair, and I'm gaining more weight, and I'm, you know, I'm just, I just tend to think about myself first. And so we have to be intentional, which is why we need time in our day to reorient our values and to have a better understanding of ourselves. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just about thinking about yourself less. Okay, so that you can put God at his rightful position in your life. Now, I mentioned it's a choice, and you get more joy when it is your choice. But when it's someone else's choice for you, that's called humiliation. And humiliation is another person's choice to cast you down and assert power over you. And so as we look at this, I've humbled myself as a choice, and I've been humiliated when someone else humbled me. And there's so much more joy in stepping down in you choosing that than to have that thrown on you when someone else does it. But you know what it says about humility? It says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble in the book of James. And that's one thing. If you want a heart that God, that, that God blesses, then we need to be people who think of ourselves less and lift him and others up. So when you just think about this, the view that you have and the attitude that you hold of God and others and yourself, the only way this is going to happen if you, is if you ask God for a humble heart. And I think that's something that we have to do in a world that's, that's so obsessed with our own personal reputations and our own personal accomplishments and then our own independent identities that we like to push on everyone else. We just love, we're just infatuated with doing that. And so to live against the pattern of this world, we're going to need to allow God to remind us who we are. And in humility, he always reminds us of his love for us. So Joseph was humble. Secondly is he was gracious. 
And as we look at this, let's point our attention to verse 19. It says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and here's where I see grace. It says, And unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In marital unfaithfulness, adultery, or fornication, sex outside of marriage, there was a harsh punishment in that world at that time. And Joseph could have just said, she, I mean, basically, the scarlet letter he could have put on her and humiliated her publicly and walked away. This, by the way, he did this in verse 19 before he had the dream with the angel explaining, hey, dude, this is God's work in her. But he chose to give her grace. That's what grace is. Grace is shown to us in Christ. I love Ephesians 2. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It shows us who we were before Christ and without Christ and who we are now with Christ in Christ. And he says, you were once dead in your trespasses. You were once alienated from God, enemies of him, outside the people of God. But then it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together by Christ, by grace, you have been saved. You know, I don't know what kind of religious background you've come from or your view of God coming into this place here, but I would say as I talk to a lot of people inside and outside of a faith perspective, there's this concept that if we could just be good, we'll be good enough to get into heaven because good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That's a very common thing that we, a structure we build. That's a religion But the biblical faith of Jesus is that none of us can save ourselves. I mean, I can be better than you in the areas I choose. And I will look, I will choose the areas because I'm better than you in those. And you could choose the same things and compare your life with me. And you could come out better. But all of us fall short of being perfect. And with God, that's the requirement he sets for us. Which is why Jesus had to be born as God and man. So he could be the perfect man who lived perfectly for us, who died and provided a substitute so that instead of judging you, God judged Jesus on the cross. That's why we have the cross as kind of that emblem for Christianity. And, and then he rose from the dead on the third day. And so this is all, it's, it's not your work for God. It's not your righteousness in what you've done. It's all the grace of God that God freely gives you through the person and the work of Jesus. So how do you receive that? You believe in Jesus. How are you saved, Jesus? How, how do you become good enough to get in, Jesus? <laughs> it's because I believe in Jesus, that what he did in life and death and in the resurrection was for me. When we baptize you, Liam was talking about baptism next weekend. We put you under the water and say, you were once dead in your trespasses and sin. And eventually, we bring you up, right? And we say, and now you're alive to God through Jesus Christ. Because we celebrate that your life identifies with Jesus. And so if you believe in Jesus, then, you need to identify with being a person of grace. Grace is treating people better than they deserve. I know what you're thinking because we've had a few people tell me about it this weekend. They said, but Mary did nothing wrong. Yes, but Joseph didn't know that yet. He still treated her better than his mind. 
his mind understood what was happening. And when you do that, you reflect the grace that God has given you. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. As I look at this, hang with me here. We have the sounds of being a young church, and that is good. That is good. We love those sounds. But just listen with me. Hang with me. This is saying that don't miss out on the grace of God. Don't miss out on what God wants to do so that when you don't forgive someone who's offended you, you build up a root of bitterness. You, you, you become someone who seeks revenge and pours out your anger or bitterness on them. Like, I, I grew up in Wisconsin, and you guys, I, I went hunting with my dad and my brother. We'd go pheasant hunting in January, and there's nothing worse than a cold January in Wisconsin. I mean, anyone live in Wisconsin around here? Okay, go Packers, all right. Um, I, I lived in Wisconsin. It's nine months of winter, three months of bad snowmobiling. And so we'd go hunting in January, and I would have my shotgun, and we'd walk through rows of corn. And as we were walking, I'd have my wool gloves because it was so cold. And at the end of each row, I would walk through these, these thistles, and I, they would attach to my wool gloves. And at the end of them, I'd, eh, I got, and they would, those little thorns, I'd have to pull them off me. And they would just cling to those areas. It's like, it's like those wool gloves were magnetic. And I'd look over at my dad and my brother. They had a different fabric. They didn't wear wool. And, and none of those thorns stuck to them. And it brings this. Here's where I'm going with it, okay, if you haven't figured it out yet. When you go through life and someone offends you, if you don't practice grace, you're like wool with those thorns. You just hang on to them, and, and you get more and more frustrated, and you get more and more angry, and you weren't made for anger. You weren't. I mean, that's why you become a monster when you live with anger. You become someone you weren't created to be. And so we've got to be people that if we have God's grace in our life, that, that when someone offends us, we let them go. When someone cuts in front of us, we go merge, okay? Merge. We do that kind of stuff. When, when a spouse isn't sensitive to us, we understand the day that they may have had, and we forgive them. When our kids... Don't make decisions we would want for them in adulthood. We let them be adults. And we set them free of the way I want them to live. Right? Because, folks, our adult children are adults. And I've talked to so many parents who've tried to control their kids as adults. And really, here's the role we've got to take with Grace. I'm a consultant now. You want to know? Give me a call. I'll be your first call. And I'll always ask you, would you like to know what I think you should do before I tell you? Because that's living in grace. Because my role right now, I used to be a coach for my kids. I used to stand on the sidelines and tell them, run with the ball. I do all that kind of stuff. No one did it louder than me. But now, when they're adults, I want to be their best fan. I want to be their greatest encouragement and their best support. And I don't want to criticize their weight. That will bring them right back into the frustration of high school. 
And so as we think through this, how is it that you're, you're living the grace of God and showing the grace of God? And I would say this, if you struggle showing grace, I believe it's most likely because you don't fully yet understand the grace that has been given to you. And because of that, I think we're always going to need to learn the gospel in our lives. That I'm not in because of anything great I've done. I don't stay in because I'm this awesome Christian that's just outlived everyone around me. I'm in because of grace. Nothing do I deserve, but by faith I believe that it's a free gift and I can have Jesus in my life. And because of what he's done for me, because of that, I'll treat you nicer than I think you deserve. Because Christ has set me free from my sin, not because of anything I've done, but everything he is, I'll be that reflection of grace to you. Does it make sense in this world? No. This will change all our Facebook posts. It will change all all of our reactions that are recorded on a dash cam in someone's car. I mean, it will change that if we're willing to live with grace. Look at what happened when he stepped down from what he could have been. The angel said, she will bear a son, Mary, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's grace. That's grace. When he stepped down from revenge or anger or bitterness, God just made this gift to the world. He's going to save his people from their... That's grace. That's grace. God takes joy when you give grace. Last one is faithfulness. He was faithful. And look at this, it's what it says about him. It says, Joseph, uh, earlier in the passage, I think it's verse 19, it says, Joseph was a just man. And that word just, is in, in the Greek, that word just literally means someone who lived their lives according to God's word. And we see that in Joseph here. Because he heard, what did the angel say? Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for what has been done in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What does Joseph do? Look at this. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. What did he do? He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. See, he doesn't get much press, but when he does, it's right on. There is very little difference in the word of God being heard by him and the action of obedience in doing the word of God in his life. Not a lot of separation. We like to go, okay, this is what God says, but I want to live like this, and I want to do what I want to do, and okay, I'll obey. And we, there is a close connection. God's word says this, I will obey, and he does. And he does. He was a faithful man. Faith. What is faith? Faith is taking God at his word and acting on it. So whether it's Abraham who was told to leave his country and his kindred and go to the land God told him to, or whether it's Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for what is in her is from the Holy Spirit, and you will name him Jesus. I will tell you this. In Arab and Middle Eastern cultures, For a father not to name the son is one of the greatest insults to the father. To this day, if I go back to Ramallah, which is just outside of Jerusalem, I would be known as an Ibn Abid, which is son of Abid, who is my great-grandfather who lived there. Uh, We're always known by our fathers in those environments. 
And so for Joseph not to be able to, he, how, how could he not name? He was humble. He was gracious. God's grace, saving his people from their sins, is greater than whatever plan I could have for this child. And I will name him Jesus. Everyone would go, why would you pick that name? <laughs> how about this excuse? Because an angel told me. <laughs> yeah, it's because he was obedient. He took God at his word and acted on it. As I was reading this this weekend, I came across uh, another passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about um, this world right now. He says, now we see through the mirror dimly, or we see through the glass dimly, but then we'll see him face to face. I'll just tell you this. If you're going to live by faith, there's going to be a lot of things you don't understand, and that's okay. If you had to, or a requirement was full understanding of everything you believe in, I mean, that wouldn't be faith. That wouldn't be faith. I think about other people either online or in this room hearing this message right now. All the things you don't know that are happening in this world and in your world. And yet the call is to be faithful when you don't know. Paul also says we walk by or we live by faith, not by sight. So there's so many things out there. You might have some glimpses of reality, but you certainly might not know what God is doing be faithful. Be faithful. Single person, be faithful in hitch-up culture that just moves from one exchange after another and sacrifices relationship. Married couple, be faithful to God and each other when everything in this world and everything in yourself is driving you apart. Follower of Jesus, be faithful when you're hurt when you're offended, be faithful to God and follow and look to the Holy Spirit to lead you and to restore conflict, to reconcile brokenness. Be faithful because God is at work. That's what we believe. And that's why we're faithful because we believe God is doing something here. I don't know what he's doing, but I'll be willing to do that. And we'll make a caveat. When I was talking to you about these little burrs that attach to you and thorns that attach to you, what happens when instead of thorns or burrs, there's been a bat, a baseball bat that's hit your life in the past? I would say right now, grace is a difficult word. Forgiveness, just for someone to preach it and for you to hear it, I know it wells up a lot of tension within you, but I want to speak to it for a moment. Although you might not have the capacity right now to forgive the person who has hurt you so deeply, I would just encourage you, can you at least make a step towards grace in saying, what, whatever happened to me, I will not pass to the next generation. Whatever happened to me, I won't have my life being lived for revenge but I'll be willing to let God to do something here, that of which I don't know yet. Would you at least be willing to go there? Because I know many in this room have been harmed tremendously by someone else that you could not control at an age or a situation you couldn't control. Still, folks, I still believe I'll still lean into grace every day over revenge and anger and bitterness. I'll do it every day, even though I don't understand how God is going to do this. Because now we see through life dimly, there will be a time when we'll all be revealed where this had meaning, where God did in purpose on this, even though we don't know now. 
Faith is taking God at his word and acting on it. Okay, so we looked at Joseph and we just said, the guy was humble, he was gracious, and he was faithful. Humility is holding God and others above yourself. Graciousness is treating others better than they deserve. Faithfulness is taking God at his word and acting on it. Let me just ask you, with any one of these values, which one do you need right now? Right now, with some, a situation that you're going through or a circumstance that you don't understand, which one right now, if you could say, God, I need more of that in my life right now, which one would it be? And which circumstance would you want it applied to? Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand with me as we close. Could you do that? And just a demonstration of our heart, and only if you want to do this. But I just want to encourage you, just take your hands and hold them out just like this with me. I want you to think of that thing. If God brought something to your mind that you want to apply, I need more humility, I need more grace, I need to be faithful in this situation. Would you just take time and ask him for that? Your heavenly father loves to give these gifts to his children. So just pray and ask. I'll give you a little time of quietness here or online to do that, and then I'll close and pray for you. Let's pray. Go ahead. Heavenly Father, as your children, we come to you, and I just thank you for working through your spirit in each person who has their arms available to receive that which you will give them. And, and Lord, I pray that you would pour through. You know exactly what each of us are going through. You know the condition of our heart. You know the level of our faith. And so, Lord, would you just pour out more humility and grace and faith on each person who asks this, this in the room, and as we receive it, Lord, would you just remind us of the next thing to do, the next word to say, the next action to take, so that we live by faith, and we reflect Jesus, the one who humbled himself to give us your grace because he was faithful to your will. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a